Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now, here's Pastor Rafael. Once again, thank you so very much uh, for joining us here. Uh, here on our special uh, Spirit Watch Ministry stream, which we turn into a podcast. And we're, this is a special edition of that. We're going to be really trying to tackle the longstanding, uh, longstanding question that we've been uh, asked for for many, many months now since our, our traffic and people who come by our way to visit with us have, has really increased. Uh, one big question that comes that comes to stand out as we look into the the spiritual topography of the day, where deceptive movements like cults—poor word, but it's what people use—where uh, where all these movements mean to take people. And one of the big concerns is people ask many times, "Well, how do how how do people get recruited in them? How do they get sucked into them? Uh, how do they get become a part?" You know, and typically, you know, there's all kinds of debate about that. And then one of the extreme views is that, you know, people come up and say, well, I wouldn't be so stupid as to join a cult. I wouldn't be so, so, so ignorance. I wouldn't be such a, uh, 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 such a, a, a sheeple type person to get involved. But uh, those, those perspectives, I think, by and large, we, we need to address those. But I think most people just really would like to know why. How, how do people get involved? And movements uh, that 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 really that we that are known as cults, and, and every one of you, I, I, I really do once again want to thank you for being here, and every one of you for, have all are all former members of such movements, and I let me go on the records to say I don't think any of you are stupid or dumb or or brainless. I think you're all very sharp people, and uh, I'd like to met being with Scott do the go around and. Uh, you can just tell us, introduce yourselves, and maybe say a word about where you came from, and and uh, maybe just a quick opening thought on your own about how you feel about that question. Sure, my name is Scott. Um, I was part of the Gladstone. Um, to about 2015. Um, okay. Could you repeat that again, Scott? Uh, it kind of broke up there. Sorry. Sure. Um, Scott, and I was part of the Gladstone community from about 2012. Um, I had a very, you know, I was a uh, white-collar professional. I was working in pharmacy software development, so I was a pretty smart guy. Um, <laughs> I still yeah. am. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I, I would like to, you know, abolish that stereotype that we took somebody who is, who's brainless or can't think for themselves. Um, it was just the time. Uh, I'll just get that. Would you like me to go into that or did you want to just introduce everybody else first? Yeah, let's introduce everyone. Cause I, like I said, I think we all can dovetail it together. I think we all can certainly, you know, each of our, one of our, of our individual paths are going to resonate. I, to be honest, beyond the up and up, I was never in a cult, although I got, my mother was, and, uh, and that was an interesting story. I'll, that really opened my eyes, but in any case, uh, yeah, Julie, if you don't start uh, next, I'd appreciate uh, uh, you sharing a little on that too. Julie. Oh, got you muted. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, my name is Julie McLaughlin, and I was a former member of Zenos Christian Fellowship, uh, which is also known as the Fish House, which is also known as Dwell Community Church. They like to change their name every decade or so, <laughs> you know, reputation issues. 
Um, I, when I joined that organization, it was 1982, and I was there for 11 years. During that time, I, I was just a young, young child, um, and I was 17, but um, I was easy pickings in that my family was, uh, was chaotic, um, had some church involvement, but was no longer attending church. And they set out an all-out offensive um, to hit the kids in my high school. And I, I was caught up in that, that sweep of people that they got from the, where I lived. And many of the people that I knew then and love are still there. And I would really love to see the opportunity just to have conversation about you know, there is such a thing as Christianity without a con- being in a, in a high controlling group. Um, but, of course, those conversations are never allowed with current members. Right. So, right. that's my, my intro. Okay. So you, you got basically recruited when you were younger, uh, at a much younger age, where yeah. Scott was just uh, looking for an alternative to where he was at. So, Adam, where, where, where were you at? This sounds almost pretty close to where you were as well, but you can elucidate on that. Well, actually, I think it's kind of a somewhat sort of splitting the difference there between um, Julie and Scott. Um, I was in my late 20s. Uh, my uh, partner wife at the time was doing the Way Down workshop, and um, we were recruited into the spinoff church of the Way Down workshop, the Remnant Fellowship. What's interesting about my story is that I actually, throughout the recruitment process, was worried that we might be be being indoctrinated into a cult. Uh, I was worried it was a cult, and I asked a lot of questions that, you know, ultimately we didn't get to join because I'd asked so many questions of the cult leader that we were kicked out the day we tried to join. But I, I, um, it, it's interesting because even with some knowledge of cult having having been aware of cults growing up and like my my parents used to work with ex-cult members like i still got sucked in and what what got me was my idealism you know my christian idealism the idea that um both really really wanting to see christianity unfold the way that i thought it should unfold in the world and feeling like the cult sold that vision but then in addition um feeling special like being given the the message that like the mission was critical to me joining you know and if i didn't you know like i was sorely needed to help move that mission forward um which you know sometimes i think we you know when you're young you're looking for that sense of specialness and importance so for me that was my story all right Carla, and uh, we, uh, we appreciate once again you're coming on as well. I know you just had a long, busy day yourself. Okay. Your four-year-old walks in. It's cool by me. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> my kid, my kid too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, where where did you come from? Where how, where did where did you uh, start this whole journey on? And so, um, I was a part of the cult called Sound Doctrine um, out of Seattle area, Washington State but it had moved around from starting in Missouri and Colorado ended up in Washington state. Um, I was actually in Texas and was a part of a very loving non-denominational church out of Kennedale, um, Texas. And um, through wanting more than I felt like I was getting from my normal fellowship within the church, a group of us decided to start uh, meeting for prayer, meeting for Bible study outside of our church together. And we were just being very, I would say, I don't know, people use this term, but fed by the outside teachings we were finding on the internet. And um, the leader of our group, which happened to be the deacon of the church that we did all attend at the time, found the teachings of Tim Williams on the internet. Again, we were mixing, it was gleaning from a whole bunch of different scriptures, I mean, teachers, 
Um, but sound doctrine seemed to get a hold of um, our leaders at the time of our little group. And um, through the teachings and actually interesting, a lot of reverse psychology was used on all of us was basically, we don't know if we want you to join kind of tactics and um, we don't know if you're basically good enough to be a part of our group. They didn't use those words because of course that would be all the telltale signs to keep somebody from joining. Um, But we saw in them people that were really trying to live out the Bible as we thought or had in our minds that um, it should be lived. And we weren't really seeing it where we were. So we were wanting to do it. So why not fellowship with people that did? And that was the hook. There's a lot more to it, but that's about as basic as you get at the moment. Right. (laughs) And and our family up to Washington state. Hmm. So, so, so cultism isn't just this like uh, ordinary problem just stuck in one particular part of the un of the of the U.S. It it crosses borders everywhere, you know. And yeah, everywhere you go, you're you're going to see that kind of malign influence everywhere. And uh, every one of you have, have have told a story in which you were searching, you were looking for something more, you were looking to, to beyond believing something bigger than yourselves. And uh, you were you were you were beckoned to, you were you were reached out to. So uh, those sound like pretty common reasons for why people get involved in cults, don't they? I mean, they're they. It isn't like you go out there, like I said, to become a, a you know a, a Mansonite or or you know somebody like that who goes out and, and kills on the order of a, of a of a cult leader who wants blood everywhere in his own little apocalypse. You wanted to change the world. You know, every one of you wanted to wanted to do to, to more. Uh, you wanted to progress. You wanted to get get better, and, and and you wanted to just basically, you know, rise above where where you were. And uh, so that seems to be like a, like a very common thread of people. Why? What? What the motive is? You know, the why? Why? Why people would even think about that? And uh, can can any of you speak briefly to what it was you were leaving behind? What you felt like you just couldn't deal with anymore that that made the made this revelation uh, so special to you? Um, I can maybe speak to that. Um, the scripture that really was taught to us or or put out as a, a fishing line was, you know, pick up your cross, follow Jesus, and the disciples got up right then. They didn't, they got up right then, and they left everything behind. And so that was one of the things. So all the other people around you, are they getting up and leaving all they have behind? And so it was, again, a draw to, well, why not? Why aren't you being like these scripture uh, samples that we're supposed to follow and why aren't the other people you're around saying they're Christians doing the same and so there begins to be this buildup of Christian versus Christian instead of really focusing on where you're at you know um, one thing that I think cults like to do is they say come to our team you know and instead of why not grow where you are? And that is something I believe that the churches aren't preparing people for. I know I wasn't prepared for, and I think almost that time and um, experience teaches you those things. But I do believe it's something that the church doesn't really address so much is they kind of play into it. The we versus them, they're, you know, denomination versus, versus denomination And so when you start doing that with scripture on just the basic level of becoming a disciple and following Jesus, you can do the same thing and you can start pulling people away from everything they know and hopes that they're sorry and hopes that they are joining the right team or the better team or the one that's going to win the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I like Carlos about that I, um that i, I mean i, I when, when you talked about this podcast Raphael, one question that sort of stuck in my mind was 
because I, I noticed that you know we we're all you know people who were recruited we you know, were all you know recruited into movements away from you know Christianity and into cultic movements. Um, the the what about mainstream American church life like sets people up for this like that there are there, there are some factors I think that operate inside of church life like some givens some assumptions that sort of sometimes can 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 make somebody vulnerable like I'm thinking about what you shared Carla and, and you know in my case it's it's pretty similar like that sense of um you know feeling like um well I there's this sort of ideal view of what it means to be a Christian or in, and then you're sort of searching for that in the church that you're in. And rather than recognizing like, this is the growth process that you grow through grace to achieve. Mm -hmm. And then you don't achieve it. I mean, like you're always like, you're always growing and you're always needing that grace, but, um, and, and the wisdom is realizing that nobody really ever arrives. Like you're still growing. But like you, you, know, you get sold this idea that well, there's here's this group of people who figured it out and they've arrived. Right, right. that's uh, exactly it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I, and I, th- I think, I think the other, the other piece too is this sense that, um, that any like this sort of very democratic sense that anybody with a good head on their shoulders in the Bible can be can be the leader, you know, um, and like. You know, and I'm not knocking lay ministry or anything like that, but it, I mean, how many of these cultic leaders come up with like very little Bible training? Mm-hmm. They have the dark personality of control, um, and they have a Bible, <laughs> and and they they really navigate the culture the the cultural winds of the church really well, and they kind of know how to pick people off off of the flock. Yeah, right. Well, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. I think for me, initially, what attracted me to the organization was that I needed parents. Um, I was graduating high school and I knew I was going to move out and I needed parents. And the church that I became involved with or the organization I became involved with has a setup where their goal is to get people involved in the real estate endeavors of church members. They have what are called ministry houses. So if you're single, um, you move into these ministry houses and that is like a different level of control. So you submit yourself not only to the authority of the church at large, but the authority of the leader of, of your ministry house. And there are very specific rules. And I think that there was comfort, there a lot of comfort in those rules initially. Um, but over time, you know, the, the, the noose kept getting pulled tighter and tighter and tighter. You know, the, the, the selling point that kept the young folks like me at the time was the whole concept that we were the one true church. Like we were doing it, we were doing it like first century church people. Everyone smiles at that point, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're the one true church. And and the one true church, if you leave it, then you're dead to us. And it's not dated, but you can notice it immediately. If somebody gets away, it's always there's something wrong with them. And the only way that you can continue to be okay is to stay with us. So I think initially it was the comfort of the rules, but as things went on, that just wasn't, I went there. My very first meeting was because a Catholic friend of mine said, I found the one true church. And I was like, what's the Pope got to say about that? Like, (laughs) I don't know, you know, and, and it was meeting in this, basement of this house with all of these really handsome dudes that look like tiger beat magazine i know you're all much too young to understand where tiger i did notice you were all wearing glasses at one point yeah, so maybe yeah. doing tiger beat magazine but it, it just, they all just look like beautiful beach boys that live there and of course it was like <laughs> with high school girls um but i think too that you know that was also like the dangerous situation where 
once again, you know, the bait and the switch. Here's the bait. These beautiful young guys that are eating ramen noodles and saying, hey, wow. And, you know, wearing wearing cool clothes and no shoes. And and then it goes on to from that to, oh, and by the way, you can't wear that shirt. You can't look this way. You can't do this. You can't do that to the point that as an adult, nearly 30 years old, I was I was letting someone else tell me I, I had to be home by midnight. <laughs> and i'm not not an a dumb unintelligent easily managed person but somehow i let myself submit that because i want to be involved in the one true church right right yeah because part of that recruitment process part of that vetting that the group had was to see if you would shoehorn those rules into your into your own footsteps and and to see how they and, and they try to get you to try them on see how you went and uh that's how it works you know they they're they're they're, they're gonna give you that little bitty of little bit of room to, to test you and uh of course if this really means everything to you well sure you don't mind getting home before midnight you, you don't you don't mind uh listening to somebody uh verbally pistol whip somebody else uh because they deserved it right so those are the kind of things that you start slipping on. You start letting go. And uh, I was wondering, Scott, if you had anything to say about that, but uh, like I said, I didn't want to cut, cut. I think you started to say something, but I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah, for me, it was like I was in my late 30s when I got in. And it was I was in Florida at the time, and um, I moved back to Florida with the understanding that I was going to get back into a relationship that I had been in before. And when I got back, that person was already dating somebody else. Um, and I was left like all of my friends that I had there were, you know, they took sides and I was left alone. Uh, and I was at the gym and there were these two guys that just kept talking to me every day and were impressed with the weight I could lift. And, um, just, it was the sense of family that I did not have that I needed at that time because I was so vulnerable. Um, and I had been away from God for a while. And when they invited me to their Bible study, I'm like, well, I pretty much suck at control at <laughs> living my own life. Maybe I should give uh, this God thing a shot again. Um, and they basically, you know, you know, I know the word love bombing. We hear it a lot. And that was what they did. Like they knew I was somebody who was vulnerable, who had hard and hard. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I and I can piggyback on on what everyone else has said. It, I pretty much felt like there was a superiority complex, like the one true church. We were the ones that were truly following Jesus, and everybody else was just, uh, you know, flying by the seat of their pants. I, I can say, if there is one thing the American church is missing, is that. Really, I didn't see, I didn't feel that love from congregations I had been before. It doesn't need to match that, but there's this lack of, we'll see you on Sunday morning or some Saturday night, and that's great. And then there's no like, uh, no follow through on forming like deep relationships of, you know, of discussion that you can have. And it's just basically checking a box to go to church. And because I couldn't find that in the churches, I found it there. Yeah, just forget the right time. Yeah. So each of you found the beckoning of community. There was a community that that um, engaged you at, at not one but several different levels. It spoke to each and every one of your needs in some way. So uh, to me, that's not a, a dastardly thing. That's just human need, human nature. We we all want to be a part of it. I know I do. I mean, that's why I'm involved with my own home church and the friendship circles I do have. I need that. I, I'm, I'm a social creature, and, and I need the affirmation of others. But uh, in, in a movement like, like you've been in, though, um, would you be willing to offer the opinion that maybe it's heightened a little more? Maybe they've ratcheted it up and been a little more intentional? Because that's what I mean. I'm not in any way, shape, or form disagreeing that the that the modern church is really out out the lunch on 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 this very point. 
But at the same time, it, it's it's in what I've watched people do and get involved with, it seems that the, the communal aspects of the individual movements you've all been involved with really work hard to really draw you in and, 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 and make you more involved and, 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 they, and getting you to invest that emotional and spiritual equity in there that you're going to want to pay back from. Um, and uh, so what were some of the things that they did to really hook you? I guess what I guess what I want to say is what were some of the things that, that, that really stood out to you that you remember they did that really drew you down that path? I remember, you know, just going to their, they invite me over on a Friday night to watch movies. Uh, and then it's too late. You're right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, they would take time like to sit and listen to me. They would invite me out to dinner, you know, and they, every time I showed up, there was always people engaged because I didn't like just jump in with both feet. There was a lull time like between April and July before I actually moved into one of the houses. Um, there was that, that buildup, you know, of just this, I just felt like a love that I've never felt before. Right. And a brotherhood I've never felt before. And a yeah. family that I've never felt before. And I grew up in a Pente- Pentecostal church. Sometimes I call it Penny Hostel Raphael, but <laughs> no offense. But <laughs> um, it's okay. We grew up in the same church, so I know you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I grew up in the church, and I didn't feel that in the church. Yeah. Yeah. That I. You know, and I was a pastor's kid, and I didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In many ways, it's worse for them. Uh, it, it really is, and it's scandalous. It should be. I'd, I'd like to kind of weigh in on this as well. The communal aspect. Um, um, absolutely, think that that's used in the cults. Um, one of the tactics that Sound Doctrine would use would be to, they wouldn't tell you to stop talking to your family, but they would make it such an issue. Basically, if you didn't love your family in the Lord, meaning how God loved his disciples and loved the people, which means, again, leaving everything behind or holding them accountable to the word of God and things like that, basically, they would force a separation so you would force instead of naturally as we all know that in your life that when you do follow the lord there's some people that don't want anything to do with you anymore and then some do and some are indifferent either way um sound doctrine specifically would force the confrontation and so then lines were drawn pretty quickly on um basically on who your family really was so for example um if someone died and they were not of god why would you spend time on people that were already choosing hell for example why would you spend time on people that have made a choice so um they drew that family to them. So, for example, the cult leader was calling himself grandpappy to the children. Uh, yeah. Mom and dad was being used as their names. Um, so the family was being reset up within the church. I mean, the cult that I was a part of. Yeah. And, and it almost had to be that way because, as we all know, each one of us had our own families not only within our own homes, but outside of homes. So to, to, uh, as the strong man, you know, I've shared that scripture with you, Raphael, but to take down a home, you got to bind the strong man. So you got to replace one family with another. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's, and they use all of the things that any social, uh, convention with Jews, like, well, you know, getting email addresses, uh, exchanging phone numbers, uh, visiting each other's TikTok accounts, whatever it is they can do to get that hook into your daily life, which everybody does, you know, and, and, and to use that as a means to 
to to uh, draw you deeper in is what they do so so well. And that's one of the things, Adam, that blew me away about Remnant Fellowship, about how intentional they were in doing that very thing, how they drew people into Remnant by making sure they got all their personal information and make sure they got they got they got the phone calls, they got the follow up, uh, and that's something that that uh, contributed to the unbelievable things that we heard about later. You know, I mean, they were able to successfully after we first met Adam, they were able to successfully draw a bunch of teenage kids into becoming spies and watching uh, watching out uh, outside of church that we both were meeting at. Sure. And videotaping it, and Gwen asking them, Gwen Chamberlain asking them, uh, "Okay, who's that going in?" And then watch the faces of these kids fall when they realize it was their parents. I mean, they had to at that point make a choice: who was the father, who was the mother. Uh, that's that's what got me in at him, you know, and, and that's, that that what convinced me right there uh, in in that sort of thing. I, I like. Uh, Raphael, that's a, I forgot about that 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 little event. <laughs> that's true. Um, I, I want to comment on something that that um, you know, well, Scott and Carla had said. You know, I was thinking about um, the uh, forced confrontation. You know, like that quick quick drawing of lines, like who's in and who's out. Like you're in this movement and your family is out, so you have a, a few chances to kind of like try to bring them to the light. But if not, otherwise, you kind of need to like cut them off or if not cut them off, like, you know, you're not going to give them access to your mind or heart anymore because they're an evil influence. And it's so common. Um, And I just saw that happening in Remnant for sure. But um, it's kind of funny. I want to go back to something Scott said, like, you know, like about churches, like not doing the best job of like um, fostering unique and deep relationships outside of the worship setting. And it's funny because that's one of the reasons why I wondered if we were being indoctrinated into a cult (laughs) is um, we actually attended a church that didn't do a half bad job at that. Like there was, they had a small group ministry. There was some pretty active men's ministry and stuff. And I knew what it felt like when that was real with all it's like works and stuff like we're like, "Eh, you know, that event could have been better, but like their hearts in the right place. And like, I came to really love that authenticity and when we were being love bombed and you know, like sought after by Remnant, it was like a hundred percent pure. It was like focused. There was it was creepy um, because like we started comparing notes because a group of us were being indoctrinated at the same time. And we'd be like, oh, so and so called me today. Oh, she called me. Oh, she called me. And we realized like they had made the rounds. Like everybody had been called and they had gotten our different versions of stories of like what was going. And like, that's like where I was like, something's weird. Nobody, yeah. <laughs> nobody hits every base like that. It was clearly like controlled and precise. And um, it was, you know, it, it was like a little telling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's something that's, it's, that's the hallmark is, is the how really intentional they get how precise. I mean, it's it's like love bombing. You, you think of that. You think of like a carp, love bombing being the term being that we use is for is for the insincere and rather contrived ways in which people shower you with insincere affection, uh, who want to uh, you know kind of draw you into the a deep affiliation with their group or their cause or, or relationship with them. And, and and that's something that uh, when you think of the word love bomb, you think of like carpet bombing. You think you you think of of the B fifty twos over Vietnam in the nineteen sixties, <laughs> dropping tons and tons of munitions everywhere, just smashing everything and not necessarily hitting a target. But love bombing is a whole lot more sophisticated than that, as as we're hearing. It's it's it is literally a smart bomb. And and Julie, you mentioned you know the you you and Scott mentioned you know the fact that there were these houses that became centers where this took place and and and, and it's, it's and uh maybe there's something else you can talk about that but what are thoughts you have about about that side of recruitment you hear me julie well something oh, that let's make sure sorry it's something that um that xenos dwell learned a long time ago is that their love bombing methodology although very sophisticated, doesn't work as well once somebody is 30 or 40. (laughs) So 
they definitely focus on trying to reach younger people, less formed humans. And, um, and, and it's been their only key to success because they have a front door that's wide open, but their back door somehow is even wider. Like they, they'll bring people in. And if you're not the right fit for them, um, if you're too much pro if you're too many problems or if you're not committed enough, then they'll love bomb you in reverse. They'll just let you die on the vine trying to get affirmation, attention, whatever. Uh, and they'll, they'll confront you and they'll, they'll tell you like you can't attend a certain meeting retreat event as punishment for not reaching out or as punishment for staying out too late or just not being a good bro this week and hanging out with enough people because you do have to report how many people you talk to each week and what you said to them. There are actually worksheets that the, I was there back before personal computers were in everybody's pocket. Um, But, but now they do it in a, you know, in an Excel worksheet that they have to all turn in. Mm-hmm. So if they don't get enough love touches with people, then they can be prohibited from attending an event or retreat or something fun. Yeah. And, and, and for some reason that just doesn't work with your average 40 year old. So those folks leave. Yeah. But the exception being, and, and just, I don't have any like proof or anything. I haven't done a great deal of study, but I look at the people who are still in leadership and that have persisted there a really long time. Many of them were brought in as teens themselves. And they're the only ones that have been able to stick. The mm-hmm. rest, of, rest of people, they, they outgrow the oppression. Um, not everybody and not all at once, but it does happen. And that's how even in our little locale over 50 years, we have a Facebook group of over 500 people that want to connect because of the pain they've experienced there. And that's amazing because that's just a drop in the bucket. But the fact that 500 humans in central Ohio say, you know, I don't follow Jesus anymore because of these guys, or I think God is just a ripoff. Right. And everybody's yeah. just like them. Right. Right. And it appeals to such high ideals. I mean, there is it, 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 it used the most highest aspirations of, of, the, of the human spirit. You know, people wanting to do better. People wanting to live better. And uh, the recruitment just got more and more intense simply because they felt it was, it was for their own good even when they had to cut off people who they felt weren't actually useful, <laughs> if I could use the word. Um, so um, when that, when that love bombing got to the point where you made a decision, uh, what were some of the other things that maybe, you, maybe each of you maybe can talk about this? What, what was, when it got to that point where you made the decision to get more involved, uh, how long did the love bombing stay in place? How long were you continually made to feel special, you know, better, you know, you know, you were really just this wonderful person. I mean, you can only hold insincere affection up so long, you know, before, before the, before the, the other shoe drops. Uh, how long would the, would the, was the honeymoon period lasting? How long did it take place in, in your life? And when did, when did you start to realize that there's uh, there's some consequences to that? My love bombing kind of quit not long after I we moved up to the group, but that was one of their tactics. Um, I almost wonder if Tim Williams studied all these other groups and said, I got to do something different so people can't call me a cult because he almost did a lot of the reverse of some of the tactics being used. So his love bombing was a lot different. He actually came in with bombs and um, said it was the love of the Lord. So when you look at the old Testament a lot, you see God, you know, in some pretty harsh ways, but when you ask yourself, well, is God love? Well, yes, he is. Well, why is he acting so harshly? Well, he loves you. So that was his tactic. So I actually 
kind of got bombed right away, but was brainwashed to believe that that was being left. So a little bit different. I thought I'd just throw that in there that yeah. it's always the nice that oh, yeah. is presented as love. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to tell you one very painful thing that that was done, but I was put in the corner like a little child um, and was also uh, threatened with uh, disfellowship right away over not submitting to my husband and um, not disciplining my children. Those are, I mean, and then, and those are vague examples. I can get down to some specific things, but to supposedly love me and teach me to do the ways of Jesus, you know, so um, kind of strange, but that yeah. is a little maybe different than the love bombing that others got. I noticed when talking about how the honeymoon was over really quickly. Mm -hmm. I, I do see that the technique of employing, um, prescribing the paradox, which is where if you want someone to do something, you prescribe something completely asinine. Yeah. And, and, and I know with sometimes with people that they feel like they can't quite control, the way that they get them further hooked in is to say, you can't do anything until you complete the following things, but you're probably not leadership material. Right. And then all that does to people that are, are wanting love and approval and acceptance and belonging, community, all the stuff that all of us humans want. What kicks in is that sense of I need to do this or all of this is going to be withdrawn. Yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to. And that's where, you know, the, another and and now even the people that are, are, are kind of bucking the system um, begin to engage and cooperate. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to make one connection, I think, to what you guys are sharing about um, sort of the, the love bombing and then the withdrawal of the love bombing or the use of punishment. Um, because I, it reminds me of a, I used to, I used to actually work with members from a different cult group. And I, I had a, a, an individual who shared this story of during his recruitment process, how, and I think it's probably fairly similar for all of us that the groups are very black and white in their doctrinal thinking. Like it's black and white, who's in the group and who's out, like what is light and what is dark. Um, and there's usually at some point in the recruitment process, you're forced to accept some kind of like unusual consequential teaching about the Christian faith that's counter to everything you've learned before. Um, so uh, this fellow was telling me about his story of being in, in recruited and he'd gotten to that, that pill he had to swallow about like what he believed was were Christians were not. And the, the real true Christians were here. And so there's this in group of saved people and everybody else is not. And he was having a, like he was, his mind was fighting against the, 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 the logic that he was being forced to swallow. And, um, he, I remember he said to me, you know, that I was thinking in my head, something my dad had said to me, don't chain me up, bro. Um, when, and, and, and he, for him, that, that phrase had meaning about like, you're trying to chain my mind up. And he felt the chains kind of going around him. And then once they were wrapped around his mind and his ability to think about who was in and who was out in this sort of logical, airtight, scriptural prison he was in, he would have taken any kind of punishment because he didn't want to be on the outgroup, you know? Yeah. And I was thinking about like during that recruitment process, I wonder, I had an experience like that. I wonder if anybody else had an experience like that where like part of it was accepting some like doctrinal twist or biblical twist where you were like, I don't think that's, well, that's weird. I'm not sure if I can. Once you're in and you and you see it through the looking glass, you can't get out. Mm -hmm. That was the only way they can control you. You had to somehow submit to some sort of hierarchy and rules. Right. And the Bible was used as the weapon, which is the very thing as I think all of us did. We we love God. So you use that against yourself 
and that is a very strong and powerful weapon. Yeah. Yeah. They, they weaponize your doubt and turn and the very thing within you that's thinking that is you, your identity, your your rationale, the thing God gave you. You know, Jesus said, love God with all your strength, mind, soul, and mind. You know, the very thing he gave you, they weaponize it. And they make your, your rational faculties suspect and even, you know, haunts with demons. You know, and, and, and they make you feel like you, 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 you've got to, no, no, you, you, you've got to stop thinking like that. You've got to, you've got to make the leap. Like you said, Adam, make the leap out to embrace that which you know uh, doesn't make any sense at all. But 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 it's going to make sense because they said it will. So your experience then becomes hostage uh, to how well you obey uh, what they want you to do. And all these other wonderful people around you, these people who seem to have their lives together, who seem to have the mission that you want, who have the – like if you're sort of questioning it, you kind of look to your left and you look to your right. And like the guys, the people next to you are like, Oh yeah, it's absolute truth. Absolutely. So like you just kind of swallow it because you're like, well, I, I feel weird about it, but like everybody hears into it. So it must, I, maybe my instincts are just not right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, I think that was like, Every few months or so, they would have a, a new witch hunt of something that wasn't right that they thought was right before. <laughs> and uh, this particular uh, thing seemed to be, when I was first in, there was a, um, and I'm going to speak a little bit about, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there was this this free movement to, to operate in your gifts of tongues and uh, charismatic movement. And then... They started to shut it down. Those people that all have, you know, spoken tongues. Those people that um, were moving free in the spirit. They sequestered us. I was one of them, and told us that that was no no longer of God. That they got a message that it that it was no longer of God, and they like exorcism and this of me not to yeah. no longer, you know, be free. And we all know where the spirit of the Lord is. There is. Shutting that down, and I swallowed it, and I believed it because I'm like, well, these people are closer to God than I am. So what I've been experiencing since I was a little kid in the Pentecostal movement is somehow has yeah. been wrong all this time. Yeah. The same thing happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. They they take what you know to be what you, you've established is, is faithful and true, and has brought so much blessing to people. Uh, they have to stand up. There has to be something suspect to it. And and heaven forbid they find that you actually have, a, have an affinity with it. You know, I, I'm sure imagine, Scott, if they understood you to be a preacher's kid, I'm sure they came and put you on the microscope quite a bit for that. Oh, uh, yeah. And I mean, you had talked about when the love bombing around because I had a high income. <laughs> I had a job outside of the community. <laughs> Um, and I know I introduced them as Gladstone Community earlier, but they had changed their name to Madison Place Church or Madison Place Community. So they had gone through that, too. And I know that anyone's watching this thinking, hey, I'll attend this nice church in Cincinnati called Madison Place. Don't do it. Um, but, yeah, the love bombing with me lasted a little longer because I had a lot to bring to the table financially. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say that I got away with stuff. I just would say I had a lot more attention paid to me. Hmm. Yeah. I would say something too, um, financially. Um, that would be something that I think people should take into consideration when they're being recruited is uh, the finances. Um, they will obviously not want you to look at that and they will accuse you of loving God. I mean, loving the God of money, you know, and not loving, you know, they'll, totally be all over that but you follow that money trail and you're going to find a lot of answers a lot sooner um a lot of these cults are operated to fill the pockets of the leaders um Mm -hmm. it's not just an ego for some of these uh cult leaders they are literally setting themselves up to retire um very wealthy um so it's can't say it's you know that's a cookie cutter answer for all the cults but my gosh that is 
the money trail, when you start looking at the money, you just start going, okay, right. you get a lot of answers a lot quicker. Right. You do. Right. You know, I think um, one of the things that kept me continuing on for so many years, when I tell people, people would never expect that I would have been part of a controlling religious group. But when I tell people that, they're like, well, how did that happen? And and when did it happen? And when you tell them 11 years, it's like, oh, my gosh, how did it happen so long? Like, what happened? And for me, they got me involved really quickly in, in doing the stuff they were doing. So they let me in on the, the secrets of how the sausage is made. Yeah. So <laughs> once, you, once you start saying, hey, when people come through the door, what you do is you go up to them and you say, hey, bro, do you lift? Wow. Let me see your tats. So cool. Yeah. Wow. And then just smile and nod at everything they say. Um, and then you're like, oh, and you realize like, I can do this manipulation too. But you, what you think is, yeah, I can welcome this person into this place so they can come and find Jesus. But they find us. Uh, I have regrets about a lot of that. But I think the reason I th- stayed so long is because i know that i helped build that you know i i did the stuff that was done to me to lots of other people and i wanted to be able to if it was at all possible um, be able to rescue some of the people out of there yeah 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 everyone wants to go in and then when you get involved like i said you you when you feel trapped when the door closes and you realize is, well, you're in, then you, you want to make, try to make the best of it, you know, and that's, and that's where each of you, like I said, and when I, when I've met you guys, as we've shared, each of you knew that when that door closed, you wanted to go in there, you want to be the best. And then now in, in Adam's case, you know, you never fully enjoy You never joined remnant fellowship, but you were their number one recruit. You were, you were going to be the prize. On, on top of on top of the cake there and and you asked just uh you just were well you were just so so gauche as to actually ask questions and uh in and unfortunately you know as, as we all know questions are the are the, the according to to cult scriptures uh, asking questions is really the second unforgivable sin i mean pro tip do not ask a cult leader if they're a cult leader <laughs> yeah. I think I think everybody that's ever been participated in a a love bombing cult, like they, if they have any influence at all, their desire is to fix it. Yeah. Like you know, if if these guys just understood the following things, then maybe things would change. Yeah. And I think that there's still a lot of equity rescuing going on there with some folks. Yeah. They just stick around because there's this hope that sometime they'll they'll see the light right i think that's a great point i mean i think a lot of yeah. people do, like they're, they're they're they they see the hypocrisy but you know you're already in the chains like you're already um i see hypocrisy here i see some cheating here i see some things that are not quite right but this is still the one true church i've got to, i still have to toe the line i still have to try to fix this i have to be a good soldier um and you know you 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 can't get out even when you see the hypocrisy, and you will go to bat for that church and lie for that church, you know, uh, you know, uh, to, to cover things up for other people, you know, because you you're trying to to help, you know, save Zion or you know build the kingdom or whatever it is. Right. It's it's what victims of abuse do. They they uh, cover for the abuse. Yeah. You're being verbally abused or. That's this a great point. Abused, it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, how many of us know people who have been in abusive situations where, where clearly somebody was completely crazy and should have, should have gotten uh, and, and, and should have been gotten away from, but that person went back. No, I love him. Mm-hmm. I love him. I can't leave him. I, I, I got a baby by him. Uh, no, we're, we're going to work this out. And they just keep going back in and get their, get their face caved in again and again. Why? Because they've been persuaded that 
they they are nobody without that person. Mm-hmm. It's it's very similar. I mean, it's 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 a very human nature. It really works that way. It's very sad. Very tragic. I found that the recruitment that we had at the mine was a small cult, but very highly intelligent people people that were successful. Oh yeah, yeah. right. The publishing, um, self publishing, um, entrepreneurial people. Um, we had nurses. I mean, we had very highly intelligent people. So I think intelligence really is the right um, perspective for people to be asking about how you get drawn into a cult. Um, I think anybody can be drawn into a cult. Yeah. There's not really dumb or smart, really. In fact, I think if more so, if you're a really thinking person, that might be maybe somebody that might be a little bit more susceptible people that look into things or curious of things or want to figure things out. Those might be actually the people that might be a little bit more susceptible. Not, yeah. not just more affordable, but also more desirable to the cult because mm-hmm. if you have gifts, if you're, you know, if you have money or if you have talent or talents, you are an asset to the group. If they can get you in and get you firmly ensconced. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, most people don't understand. As as Doctor uh, Doctor um, Doctor Paul Martin once wrote in, in his book "Cult of Your Kids," most people don't don't get that virtually anyone can get involved in the cult under the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president of the student body at Wheaton College later became one of Jim Jones' right hand men right. in Guyana. I mean, it's a reality. It's part of the way life is. You know, and uh, it's just uh, it's, it's got nothing to do with intelligence or or anything like that. It's everything to do with just being a human being mm-hmm. and, and and being open and want willing to trust. Everybody, I think everybody thinks. I like to think everybody believes that you know being that being open and and to others and listening to others is is a good thing, right? And that's what you all did, and that's what people do. They listen. And it sounds good, and it seems good. Then there's a good chance they're gonna go that way. So we've already we're all almost at an hour now. On this and I and I didn't want to hold you guys any longer. So I'd love to keep going if you want to, but I know I don't want to keep you longer. But in closing this, uh, maybe you guys can say maybe there's some things you can tell, maybe some uh, some some uh, advice you can tidbits you can share with us. If someone was a company, well. Well, how do I avoid getting into a cult? I mean, how do I, how do we, we, we know we've kind of discussed what they look like, uh, what happens when you become part of a new family, you, all those things. But what would you say to people who ask you, well, well, how do I, how do I stay away from cults? How do I, how do I see them? How do I avoid them? Uh, what, what should I do? What can I do to avoid that? That is a great question, Raphael. And I, I was literally hoping you would end on something like this. I, I have I have the, the one that I always tell my kids or tell other people. Any group that tells you that you cannot read information critical about the group or you can't talk to former members or they don't let their members talk to former members, it's a suspect group. It may not technically be a cult, but you don't want to be a part of it. I think another, another thing to be aware of is that high control groups have a tendency to have a methodology that is targeting you. You are a target. And when they find you, they're not looking just for you. They're looking Mm -hmm. for you and your children and their, their friends and everybody in your neighborhood and everyone on your Facebook and Insta list. They are looking to use you to fortify the organization so if you notice that someone is very, very interested in you, but they're also very, very interested in all of your friends as well, um, that might be an issue. And and at least, too, like, I, I think making sure that you stay connected with your family of origin, such as they are, however they are. If you find a group that's trying to split you from your family, mm. this is not a wine and wineskins thing. If you find someone trying to split you from your family, then then consider that it might be a high control group. You were saying, Scott. I'm sorry, we, we lost you because of the, the, the jitter here. Oh no, I have a a meeting in about 15 minutes. I got to be on, so I'm going to have to drop. But I, I would say the same thing. I was going to say what Julie said was about 
anyone that's trying to separate you from your family of origin, you know, um, that might not be prevalent once you get until you're in, you know, um, they, my, my mom was dying of cancer and they didn't want me to go home. Huh. All that probably channels that, but that was three years in. So, uh, that would be a big red flag, you know, um, mm -hmm. anybody that does not want you to communicate with anyone that you knew before. Right. Yeah. But I do have to go. So. All right, Scott. I'll just add to his, uh, I'm going to just you, Scott. third that, that anybody trying to disconnect you from your family, um, in my circumstance that came a little later, they didn't want to think that they would be like that. Um, so they tried to mask that one. But um, anybody that doesn't think that you can grow where you are, I think is suspect. Um, anybody that basically doesn't believe that God can meet anybody wherever they're at and grow them in the design and what God wants for them in their life, where, where they are at, are just definitely suspect. So if you must drop teachings from other people, if you have to... Basically, not be. I'm. I'm not saying that you are in charge of your own destiny, but you. Everybody here on this earth has their own journey. So if somebody is trying to hijack that and make your journey their journey, then I think they're high, highly suspect. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. And th and that's how uh, that's that's how it is, folks. <laughs> uh, it, cultism is so is is uh, as American as Mom, Apple Pie, and Hyundai. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. It, it's part. It's it's a mundane part of our lives, and works into and infiltrates every every fiber of 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 uh, our existence. It just it boils down to where it, it where it. It doesn't even seem unreal. It may seem different, but everybody's open to different things. But 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 the recruitment of cultism really is, does go into the directions that we we've heard tonight. And uh, you know, I, I've I've heard so many people tell these same stories. But you guys have got incredible insight here that I really appreciate your sharing. Uh, any final thoughts you'd like to perhaps uh, say to anyone who uh, might be. Uh, asking any other questions, anything, any other final observations you'd like to share? I'm willing for anybody to reach out if they need someone to talk to. So maybe on that. <laughs> yep. There's only one of you, Raphael. You got that right. <laughs> you surely got that right. I'm only one person. I'm I'm in no way, shape, or form uh, claim to be any any expert at this. I just uh, just a uh, Pentecostal also preacher who got involved in this stuff and uh, started hacking away at it. And, uh, and I, and I, um, but yeah, contact is important. I mean, uh, if, if, uh, if you, if we can, we can, we certainly have our own inbox, uh, Raphael at spearwatch.org or help at spearwatch.org. If you folks out there listening have any sort of questions or comments, uh, send them on to us. We can forward them on who, whoever, on our esteemed panel here shared, we can certainly uh, send them on. And I, once again, uh, want to emphasize that it, it would be confidential and sent quietly. And uh, and we once again want to thank the three of you guys, well, four of you guys, Scott and Lee, but uh, thanks so much for coming out this evening and for sharing. It's been, it's been truly uh, an enlightening time. And uh, I look forward to perhaps doing this again in a different way somewhere. Uh, but, uh, again, uh, cult recruitment certainly is a challenge, but it's not, it's not an unsurmountable one, uh, by asking the right questions and, and keeping an open mind to alternative perspectives, which is something cult recruitment doesn't like you to do. Uh, those seem to be part of the answer. And, uh, you folks have done a wonderful job filling in, filling in a lot of cracks and providing us some really great insights. Thank you so much for coming out this evening. Yeah. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our
prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened, and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night, or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you. What happened to Eden and Will? No, don't, don't. David, don't. Finding this saves my life. I almost died after I almost couldn't keep on living. You know that, Will. But look at me now. I'm great. I'm happy. I'm not angry anymore. And if anyone is going to try to take that away from me... Oh my God, look at the way you're looking at me. <laughs>